Good morning. My name is Kevin. I'm a pastor at Church of the Lamb. On behalf of Church of the Lamb, I want to say thank you so much for having us. Keith said that we weren't gathered here to seek refuge in a building, but in the Lord. And I want to say that that's partly true for Church of the Lamb people. Um, so I, I do want to say thank you again. Thank you to Incarnation staff, volunteers, all those who've worked to, to make this happen. Um, Sunday evening, last Sunday evening, I was on the phone with Aubrey and was telling him about our situation, which I'll, you know, I'll share more of. And um, he said, hey, if we ever need to have a joint service, that we'd love to do that. And I was looking at the forecast and thought, you know, this week might be good. Um, so, so thanks to Aubrey. I know he's out this weekend, but um, was so welcoming to us. So, so thanks to all of you. Uh, he did ask me that I would share at some point a little bit about Church of the Lamb. Uh, who we are. So uh, as many of you know, Incarnation sent Lamb out uh, about 10 years ago now. 10 years ago. Um, I was a a curate before he was even called a curacy for about six months. And Incarnation sent me out to help with the the work uh, of Lamb. And so Lamb at this point, our, our mission is abiding in Christ as his disciples, invited to rest and compelled to love. We sense that the world is a very weary place right now, that many people are feeling that they have to work for their lives and their salvation in so many ways, Christians and non-Christians. And so our mission is this sense of wanting to show people that to be a true human being is to come to God and to actually find rest. That doesn't mean you do nothing. That means that before you can do what God wants you to do, you have to realize that he's done the heavy lifting first. And so we're trying to create a property that reflects that work of God. Um, And so this is a a 31-acre property uh, in the edge of the the county um, that is covered in snow right now and is great for sledding if you want to sled. Anyway... But um, through some surprising circumstances, we had been worshiping at Redeemer Classical School up until the summer, we had to change locations, and we realized that we needed to make the property workable as a place for worship while we plan for a long-term building. And so what that's meant is that we're worshiping in a barn, which is a really great barn. It already had a Jesus Save sign on it that was from about 50 years ago. It's amazing. It was perfectly suited for what we're doing. Um, but we're trying to outfit it to be a little more temperature controlled. So come into February, just in time for spring, it should be good for winter. Um, no, but in all seriousness, we're, we're working to make that suitable for us for, um, for, for an interim, interim period while we plan for sustainability there. And so, again, thank you for having us. And also, thank you for praying for us. We are grateful for the mutual ways that Incarnation and Lamb both serve God's kingdom in this area. So, thank you. Um, Let me pray, and then I'm going to do what I'm actually supposed to do, which is share God's word with us. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart might be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, and I pray this for all of us, help us to receive what you would desire to give us from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to open to Mark chapter 1. I want to talk with you this morning about authority. I wonder if you noticed the couple of times that authority is emphasized in the brief passage that was read for us. We heard twice what the people are amazed by about Jesus. That he taught them as one who had authority. Not as the scribes. Not as these other teachers of the day. Then at the end of this section, um, after Jesus has healed this man and cast out an unclean spirit, we hear the people again say, verse 27, what is this? A new teaching with authority. I think it's safe to say that authority is complicated for many of us and for our world. Authority is complicated for me for a variety of reasons. I grew up in the deep south. I listened to enough country music growing up that authority is sometimes problematic. Being told what to do can be really challenging. I'm usually a pretty easygoing person, and if someone asks me to do something, I like to say yes, but as soon as they tell me to do it, something shifts in me. I was Baptist, and that encouraged it. I became Anglican, and now I'm doing a little bit better with it. I have a bishop. I live under authority. But authority is complicated for us. All of us realize to some extent that having no authority can only lead to chaos in our world. But we also believe that absolute power corrupts absolutely. The rub is that in this passage, we're hearing that Jesus has absolute authority. He has absolute authority. Actually, if you were to back up for just a little bit in in Mark, we heard earlier in Mark, you would hear that Jesus was baptized and the Father, God the Father, spoke over him, Behold, my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Did you know that the Son of God is code word in the Bible and in the ancient world for king? Caesar was called the Son of God, a king. And Jesus, immediately after his baptism, goes for a period of time in the wilderness. But then he returns from the wilderness and immediately begins proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God. And what do you know? But here in our passage, he encounters a territory conflict. Whose kingdom is it really? Is it the kingdom of God? Or is it the kingdom of the evil one? You see, 1 John, we hear that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And that's immediately what we're seeing in our passage. Jesus comes on the scene proclaiming his kingdom, and he is like a magnet for resistance, for evil. And and this is surprising and challenging for us because all of us, we look at the problems around us. We look at the problems in our world, and we know that something's wrong but we don't immediately want to go to the invisible powers of evil. We would rather like to think that we can solve our problems through logic and reason. 
And this is one of the reasons that Jesus' power is so good. His authority is so good. And this is what I'd like us to hear this morning. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're a Christian, I would like you to be reminded that Jesus' authority is good in your life. If you're not a Christian, I would like you to hear that Jesus' authority, it wants to be good for you. It is good for you. One of the reasons that Jesus' authority is so good is it exposes the real source of evil in our world. And it is the evil one himself. All resistance to God, what we're hearing in this passage, resistance of God begins with the evil one, Satan himself. And this is what Jesus is coming to undo and there's a real challenge for all of us in, in our own lives in this passage. Because the, this unclean spirit, when, it, when Jesus' teaching draws this un, unclean spirit out, it exposes it. And the unclean spirit cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And I want to suggest to you that all of us have places in our lives, whether we say it explicitly or we just think about it internally, where we struggle with Jesus and what he says to us and his authority in our lives. And there's part of us that might cry out sometimes, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? I'd like you to think about places in your life where Jesus' teaching and his authority is hard for you. Places where you might be tempted to say, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? There are these big three that humans have always struggled with this. Um, those big three that the church has talked about from the beginning are sex, money, and power. Jesus teaches about these things in very clear ways. And it often rubs against the, the world that we live in. And sometimes we are tempted to say, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Why would you try to suggest that you have the authority to tell me how to behave in these areas of my life? And I want to challenge all of us, those places where we grate against Jesus and push against him, when we do that, we're actually giving ourselves over, whether it be in small or big ways, to the power of the evil one himself. No disobedience is a small disobedience. Every time we surrender to the power of the evil one, we're surrendering territory in our own lives from God and his kingdom to the evil one. And so I want to ask you, are there places where you're surrendering power to the wrong authority? Jesus' authority is good because it wants to expose evil in our lives. The other reason that Jesus' authority is good here, though, is because when he exposes evil, he restores us to life. 
Jesus uses his authority to expose evil and restore us to life. So in these passages that we've listened to in Mark, you first have the public scene of the synagogue. There are many crowds around who are seeing all of this. But you quickly move from this public scene of the synagogue to this intimate scene of a home. And this is much of the way that Jesus works in the world. Jesus is in the public. He's in the fray. But he also wants to come into our homes and be with us personally. So we hear that Jesus comes into the home of Peter. And that Peter's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. This is verse 30. And immediately they tell Jesus about her. Now, when we hear this, we need to hear that the disciples are modeling what it means to follow Jesus. They're casting all their anxieties on him. Look, if you have a problem in your life, no matter how small it is, the immediate thing that you need to do is you need to tell Jesus about it. I had this wonderful conversation with someone this week who was in Costco, which for many people induces panic attacks. It, it does, right? If you're in the parking lot or in the store. I'm serious. They, they, were, they were losing it, and they were like, I've got to get out here, out of here. But they said, I, I had to get coffee. This sounds so small. And they prayed, Lord, help me find the coffee. They turn a corner, there's the Starbucks thing of coffee pods that cost like $50. And they think, Lord, I can't spend that much on coffee. And you know what was next? The Kirkland brand for $25. It's so small. And it sounds silly. This is what it means to follow Jesus. You tell him about everything in your life. And so immediately after they tell him, Jesus goes to the mother-in-law and we're told, this is verse 31, he came, he took her by the hand, he lifted her up, the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And this, it may seem very small to you, it is a picture of restored life. It is a picture of resurrection. He raises her up. Jesus, pre-death and resurrection, is already sharing the power of his resurrection life. Restoring Peter's mother-in-law. And in these four words, I, I, I want to suggest to you, these are the four words of all of Christian life. He takes her by the hand. He lifts her up. The fever leaves her, and she began to serve them. This is what it means for you to be a Christian, to be restored by Jesus. Over and over again throughout your life, you need Jesus to take you by the hand, to lift you up, for the fever to leave you, and for you to continue to serving Jesus, to serve Jesus. Jesus' authority is so good for us because it exposes evil and resistance to God in our lives. It restores us to true life. But there's one more reason Jesus' authority is so good. That is because Jesus always shares his authority with his people. It's the season of Epiphany, right? The season of Epiphany is about when Christ's light shines on his people and we become the lights of Christ into a dark world. Jesus, we're told at his baptism that the Father says to him, You are my beloved child, with you I'm well pleased. 
The same is true for his people. When you're baptized, you are given his Holy Spirit and the God the Father speaks over you. You are my beloved child. With you, I'm well pleased. And we're told by the Apostle Paul that if we are children of God, we are also heirs of God. And do you know what that means? That you receive all that is God's. All of it is yours. That includes the authority that Jesus had. He shares with us. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 10, or 2 Corinthians 10. The people in Corinth were always problematic for Paul, always challenging him as a pastor and as a, one who wanted to shepherd them. And Paul said, I was giving authority from God, not for tearing you down, but for building you up. That's not just for apostles. That's for anyone who follows Jesus. You are given an authority from God, not to tear down, but to build up. To build others up. The areas of your life in which you're called to follow God and serve vocationally somewhere in the world, whether it's in a family, a family, and in a place of work, whatever that may be, you're given an authority to serve God in that place and to steward that place according to God's way. Jesus' authority is good because it exposes evil, the sources of evil in our lives and in the world. It restores us to life, but also because it is shared with us so that we might go steward it in our callings in the world. But there's a final part to this. His authority is good only if we submit to it. Otherwise, his authority will always be painful for us. It will frustrate us. We'll resist it. And we'll only find ourselves more troubled by it. His authority is total over your life. Are you surrendering to it? I hope that you will and that you will find it to be good. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.